not going to tell any specific stories because I didn't ask for permission, but like we would go somewhere fun as a family, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking like the one time we, we spent one day, we, we decided we're not getting a second mortgage on our house to go to Disney. Uh, so we went to Disney, uh, the Magic Kingdom one day, <clears throat> and it's like the next day something like this would happen. Um, hey, Dad. Dad, do you remember? Uh, you, you remember when we saw Bell or something, right? And I'm like, yeah, it was just yesterday. Come on, you know. And they did this all the time, and I didn't understand it uh, because they would ask me about things that had happened sometimes that day. I'm like, are you guys? Do you guys have issues like memory issues or? Because I mean, let's face it, memories are a funny thing. Uh, if you're a married man, you know this. Uh, or if you are uh, a boyfriend, you know, she'll swear she told you something, right? And you don't, you don't have any idea what she's talking about. And I still contend, because my wife is in the children's ministry today, that she didn't ever tell me in the first place. Uh, but she swears she did, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but memory is uh, one of those things that is, uh, is important. You know, last week we talked about celebrations and festivals, and we remembered uh, a lot of different things. You know, the people, God's people remembered. Uh, but remembering is a frequently recurring theme throughout all of Scripture. Uh, as we talked about last week, the Feast of Tabernacles, right, reminds people of their 40-year journey in the wilderness. Uh, the, the Jewish people... Uh, in Jesus' time, would have celebrated Hanukkah, uh, a reminder of the of the Maccabean victory and the rededication of the Temple Purim, uh, reminded people of the Persian threat to wipe out all of the Jews, uh, but but through Esther, they were saved. The Feast of Weeks, uh, Passover, this was the, the clearest one. It reminds people of their rescue um, from their 400 years of Egyptian slavery by the blood of the lamb that was covering their doorposts. So today, as we continue this ancient practices and modern rhythm series, we're going to look at another Old Testament practice called Sabbath. You've likely heard of it. I think a lot of us have maybe misunderstood it or uh, thought of it a little differently than maybe we should, but our first run-in with Sabbath isn't in Exodus with the giving of the Ten Commandments, because if you're familiar with Sabbath, you might know it was one of the ten. Uh, we actually find it at the very beginning, as we talked about in our previous series, Origin Stories, at the very time of creation, we learned how God created uh, for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And we talked about how we can learn a lot about God's character in the way that he creates. And it is in God's very nature to rest, but it's in also in ours. Now we run into the word officially, I think, in Exodus 16, but it's more fully explained on what it looks like in Exodus 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments. And at first you look at this commandment and it's kind of strange. You wouldn't, if you were making your top ten things, you probably wouldn't, this wouldn't make your list, right? Mainly, uh, it's probably a commandment you've never felt, felt guilty about breaking, uh, I mean, you know, if you've stolen, you've probably felt guilty. Uh, if you've lusted, you've probably felt guilty. If you've 
uh, disobeyed your parents or if you've lied, you probably felt guilty. But here's a commandment that you've probably never felt guilty about breaking. And we may miss the importance of it, but God doesn't. He made it number four. And it's basically, you shall take a 24-hour period off work. What? What is God thinking? Why would he include that as a command? And why is this such a big deal to him? Here's what it says uh, in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's, it's a fascinating study through all the Old Testament because this is the only commandment that begins with this word, remember. Why? Why would they need to remember? Why would a group of people who have come out of captivity from slavery in Egypt need to remember? Well, it's because God was up to something. God was creating a people for himself, and he wanted his people to be a reflection of him, not a reflection of the world around them. Because among the ancient peoples of the world, no one would consider taking a day off from production or commerce to rest in their God. I mean, nobody. So this was a group of people who had come out of slavery where they spent literally all of their time serving the Egyptians. This was a group of people who had a very strong work ethic. They lived in a world where if you didn't work all the time, your family may not eat, may not even survive. So for God to tell them to take a 24-hour period off work, in other words, provide nothing for yourself, it was probably feeling pretty unrealistic, maybe a little insensitive. Didn't Didn't God care that they put food in their stomachs? But fortunately for this group of people, they had just had an experience with God that put this commandment in a fuller context. And I'll just remind you briefly that uh, if if you're not familiar with the story, uh, as the Israelites, as uh, God's people were leaving Egypt, they had taken some food with them, but it quickly runs out. And if you read this story in Exodus, you'll find that they are a pretty pretty whiny bunch of folks, and so once their food ran out, they started griping to Moses, like, oh, we're so hungry, and whatever. So God provides, and he says, uh, you know, Moses, tell your people to go out every morning, and they will find this food. So God provided food for them every day, and so that first morning, this crusty, flaky stuff appears on the ground. They pick it up and feel it and taste it, and they're like, what is this? which translated into Hebrew loosely, uh, means is, is manna. And that's what we call manna, you know, manna from heaven, that kind of thing. And so God created this situation for his people that he rescued, that he was going to shape into uh, a people committed to him. He was, their ki- he was going to be their king, and he forced them to be dependent upon him daily. For 40 years, their daily bread was waiting for them every morning outside their tent. And the night before Sabbath, they gathered twice as much, or the day before Sabbath, they would gather twice as much that would last them for two days 
the one day of the week when two days' worth of provision was allowed, they learned to take Sabbath off. They learned that God could be trusted when they chose to rest. And when they rested, they acknowledged all God had done to allow them time to stop. I mean, these, these instructions are pretty extreme. On the Sabbath, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, nor any animals or uh, foreigners within your gates. In other words, no loopholes, so don't even bother looking for them. So this, this mattered to God. He's saying, I don't, I don't want you to do this halfway. I don't, I don't even want your animals doing work. I don't want anybody working, not even those you expect to work. I want there to be 24 hours where you realize more than any other time that, that I am providing for you. I want you to realize that I am looking out for you. I notice your needs, and I have them under my care. The Sabbath is a day that you get to commemorate and remember all that I've already done to get you where you are. It's like God saying, don't lose sight of this. You contributed nothing to get you where you are. You contributed nothing to your freedom. One day you're going to be a powerful nation. One, one day you're going to have armies and you're going to have cities. You're going to have crops and you're going to have other nations coming to you for their provision and, and your wisdom. And I don't want you to ever forget that it started with me. Just because you're successful physically and in the tangible realms of life, I don't want you to forget that I'm the one who provided for you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build this, I'm going to build this into your schedule as a day of remembrance, a day where you don't do anything, you produce nothing, you work at nothing, and you're going to remember that despite all your wealth, all your success, it's not because of anything you have done, but it's because of your faithful God to which we go. That's really cool. But that's Old Testament. It doesn't matter to us, right? So as you turn into the New Testament, you find uh, there is much less talk about Sabbath. We'll talk about why in just a minute. But when, I, when I'm looking through uh, Jesus, he, he tended uh, to stir up a little bit of trouble, uh, specifically when it pertains to following the law of the Sabbath. The Pharisees, uh, Jesus comes to address this to the Pharisees, that they had this, they misunderstood it. Uh, they were seeking to follow the letter of the law. And so Jesus takes an opportunity as he's teaching one Sabbath in the synagogue. In Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10, it says, On Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. infirmity. Then Jesus put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, their synagogue leader said to the people, Listen, there are six days for work. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. To which Jesus answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, in other words, one of our own, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? 
When he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. In her book, uh, Ten Words to Live by, Jen Wilkin uh, writes this, Jesus labored to grant rest from suffering to this woman. He worked to grant rest from suffering to this woman who had been suffering for 18 years. Jesus tells the Pharisees to look at the spirit of the law. This is a lawful expression of Sabbath. Sabbath is intended to be life-giving, restful, and restorative for you and for others. But after Jesus, we find the New Testament writers are largely silent in a discussion about Sabbath. Is that because we don't need Sabbath after Jesus? Not in the least. I would say to you, Sabbath was so ingrained in Jewish culture, whom the first Christians came largely from Judaism, it was so ingrained in Jewish culture that to forget Sabbath was akin to forgetting your own identity. It didn't need to be said. But historically, Christians in some form or another have kept Sabbath for over 2,000 years. But in the Western church, especially in the industrial age, it's largely been forgotten because we have uncritically mimicked the rhythms of our success-obsessed culture. We take vacations, though. Right? And vacations, I'll tell you, are rarely, vacations and days off, are rarely actually Sabbath. I mean, how many of you, after spending a week, you might feel rested there, but you come back and you're just restored and ready to go after driving 12 hours on I-75? Nobody, right? But even at this, even at vacations, Americans stink at this. Uh, We do a pretty bad job. 37% of Americans take off less than seven days a year. Of all industrialized nations, the United States takes off the shortest paid vacations, and at least 20% will say they stay in touch often with their jobs through technology. Anybody? Can you relate? I can. I can. So Jesus wanted the Pharisees to understand that strict adherence to the letter of the Sabbath law was accomplishing the opposite of what God intended for them. God intended for Sabbath to be a time of rest, a time of remembrance that he is the provider. And the Pharisees found a way to make their Sabbath observance about them and how well they did at keeping the law. The writer of James, James tells us that God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And uh, I find that Satan loves to take those good gifts and uh, make it harmful or a cheap knockoff. Like um, God creates sugar. Amen. Um, Satan offers sweet and low. Uh, God created lucky charms and Satan offers marshmallows and stars. I mean, they're fine and they are cheaper, but man, there's nothing like the original. But seriously, God creates marriage and Satan offers us adultery. God creates natural beauty around us and Satan offers screens. God creates recreation 
and Satan offers travel ball. God creates work, and Satan offers workaholism. All of these things are intended to be good, but used improperly creates strain and stress and exhaustion. But for generations, people well-meaningly have cried, I'll sleep when I'm dead, as some sort of badge of honor or mark of accomplishment. Or I've heard a lot of preachers, uh, maybe well-meaning but mostly misinformed, well, Satan never takes a day off, I'm never going to take a day off. The truth is, if you don't rest in Jesus, you're going to find yourself dead sooner than you are thinking you will. Because we were made for cycles of rest. And to resist it is to destroy yourself. The result of forgetting Sabbath is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. Even, even non-believers have felt this, younger generations have felt this, and have created this newer culture of self-care. Spa days, me time. You might say God created rest, and Satan offers self-care. Because the focus of self-care is in its name, self. Sabbath is the opposite. Sabbath is God-centered. Sabbath is surrendering and setting aside your whatever it is, your desires, your stuff, not to receive a benefit, though you, you will, but that's not the purpose, but it's for reliance upon God and his provision. Jen Wilkin later in her book says, uh, it's setting aside the idea that I'm laboring to keep my universe in motion so that I can recognize that I'm not the one who keeps the universe in motion at all. Now, I have to offer you a moment of uh, honesty and confession from your preacher. I, uh, in preparing this message, have found myself confronted with my woeful inability to teach this message with integrity because I don't do this well. So what I want to do is uh, kind of break from the norm. And I'm going to invite a young couple up who are trying to integrate this uh, rhythm of Sabbath into their life and their family's life. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, Taylor and Morgan Cox are not experts. I'm certain they don't always get it right, but none of us do. Um, they led a, a, a workshop at the Handpicked Women's Conference, and I just want to invite them up today. You guys can go ahead and start making your way uh, to pick their brains a little bit at what this looks like for their home and what it might look like for yours. All right. <clears throat> so I have I've heard the workshop. They have not. Thanks for your willingness to put yourself here. Um, so let's let's just cut right to it. What uh, what led you to even consider? Because this is this is weird, right? Y'all are you all are y'all are strange. Um, 
it's, it's weird to build this into your life. It's not the normal American way of living. So what led you to that? Um, okay, well, I think the journey started. I, I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by John Mark Comer at the end of 2020. And in that season, as I was reading that book, it just seemed like this idea of rest um, and not just taking a day off or taking a nap, but holy, like set aside, godly rest kept coming up just in things that I would read or listen to. Um, and I think that, you know, when that happens, you should pay attention. And so this idea of Sabbath kept recurring just in my days. And I could also really quickly see um, what it could look like if we didn't intentionally put this into practice. You know, Taylor was managing and growing a new baby business. I was managing and growing two baby humans. <laughs> and so it was a busy um, kind of tense season for us. And I think that you, you could see the trajectory of it was going to be very easy for us to get to a point three or four or five years down the road and just be in this rhythm of just running. Um, and, and this thing that God invites us into and actually commands us to do would be very easily missed. And so I wanted to be purposeful about putting something into practice. I didn't know what that would look like um, or how we would do it each week, but I knew that it would require us to be intentional. Um, and so we kind of talked about that and, and, and started brainstorming how that would look. I also knew that I wanted that rhythm to be normal for our kids and for it to just be something they grew up doing and not thinking it was weird um, and, and, and a way for us to show them that following Jesus is a delight. And it's not just like this heavy thing that we have to teach you and, and this is how you do this, but um, it's, it's fun and it's something we get to do together as family. So that's kind of where it started for me. So John Mark Comer, The re re Relentless Pursuit. Ruthless Elimination okay. of Hurry. This yeah. is, I should have written this down. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So uh, I would imagine, yeah, let's go with this. How did you... How did you begin to start doing this? What did it look like from a practical standpoint? Yeah, um, well, first of all, we had to decide when we were gonna do it. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, it makes mo the most sense to Sabbath on Saturday because Taylor is often here very early on Sunday and, and leading worship and that makes Sabbath on Sunday tricky. So um, we decided Saturday Sabbath was gonna be how, where we would start. Um, and then we just kind of thought through what are we going to say no to, and then what are we going to say yes to? Um, and so we had some very practical kind of loose guidelines. You know, we said no to screens. We said yes to trying to get outside. We were going to try to read scripture as a family at some point during the day. And so it was very, uh, it, it was not rigid, um, and there wasn't clearly defined, this is what Sabbath looks like every week. Um, but I think another, one thing we did that if you're wanting to start something like this, I would encourage you to do is we started calling it Sabbath and we started using that word um, and our kids starting, started to use that word. And I think that that really helped orient our minds that this day was different. Um, we don't know what that looks like yet, but there's something different about this day and our hearts and our minds need to be turned differently and toward not our work here, but the work God's already done. And so hearing our kids echo that word back to us was a great reminder that, okay, if we're going to call this Sabbath, it has to look different. 
Um, and so as we practiced it and, you know, over the first probably eight or nine months, it really kind of shaped into something that is that. Um, so do you want to? Yeah. So, we got it wrong a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we would get so, to a lot, the end of Sabbath a lot, and be like, well, that was not restful. Um, because, you know, it's not as if our kids magically change their own diapers and feed themselves on Sabbath. You know, there are still things that have to be done that often feel like work. But I think that by eliminating the things that don't have to be done on that day, Taylor being at the office, me doing laundry, you know, meal planning, all of that, those things that still have to be done, um, we can tune our hearts so that they are also acts of worship. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll say, as we thought about kind of what we would do on that day, three words kind of guided us. And this was not from me. This was from something I read. But um, rest, worship, delight. So, you know, Sabbath, when we think about what God did uh, on that seventh day, he stopped working. He, he ceased from working, so he rested. He, he looked over all that he had done and delighted in it um, and 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 saw the glory of himself he worshiped. And so, you know, it, things that allow us and draw our hearts into rest, worship, and delight, that's what we're going to say yes to. Yeah. All right, so I had two follow-up questions. I have some questions I wrote down, but then I thought, oh, wait, this might be a good one. Um, okay, so uh, earlier I said something like, um, God gives us recreation, right? And then Satan offers us travel ball. Uh, it's not to say that travel ball is in and of itself. Some of those other things that Satan offers are clearly sin, uh, but travel ball is not. Um, marshmallows and stars are not. Um, so how do you how do you work that? So I think there's this misunderstanding throughout history. Uh, you know, growing up for me, Sabbath. Well, the Jews did Sabbath on you know Saturday, so we we don't do that because we're not Jewish. Uh, but we do it. On Sunday, Sunday's our Sabbath. You know, there was a time when you just wouldn't go. I don't know if you all did this, but like we didn't go out to eat because we didn't want to make anybody else work. Um, And then they offered specials on Sundays, and then you just got to go. But um, you know, so what? What I guess uh, what I'm getting at is how do you how do you balance that? So for families here who Saturday's not going to work because they do have commitments to things, what does that look like? How do you, how do you build that in? Because Sunday, some would argue, uh, could, is, is that, is, is coming to church work? I'm teaching Sunday school or working with kids or, you know, how does that, how does that work? I think I can answer that. Maybe. The, the thing that we wanted to, to stick with, to, to be rigid about was to not be too rigid <laughs> about certain things. Like it, as far as the day that we did it, you know, we, we do it on Saturday. Folks might do it on Sunday. Uh, I think Justin and Jenna, what Monday is their yeah. day that, you know, so like there's, there's flexibility there and things went wrong with Sabbath and Jesus called people out about how they did Sabbath when they missed the main point. You know, when the Pharisees became so rigid that they would not allow them to heal someone, you know, like the example that you gave. Um, And we felt that way about how we actually practically implement this in. um, That, yes, there are some things that we're going to hard say no to. um, But we kind of, I don't know if this is helpful. I've used this analogy of Sabbath as a spiritual discipline. It's, It's kind of like the difference between dieting and fasting. 
so I don't know if this helps explain kind of what we do and when we do it, but like you can diet and you can say, all right, I'm not going to eat because I'm trying to lose some weight. Um, or you can fast, which is doing the same thing or doing something similar, but with, with a spiritual purpose. Um, so for us, we set aside the 24 hours from dinner on Friday night until dinner on Saturday night. So Friday night, we sit down, we have a meal together, and that is our Sabbath meal. And we're eating just like we eat every other week. But our, our, we and our kids know this is when we stop. And this is, you know, so we are, we are worshiping as we eat. And then we worship after we eat, too. Like, we, you know, we, we do some stuff like that. But, you know, Oliver plays in a little soccer league, and their games are on Saturdays. And that's part of it. So, and we go to the sa- we go to the soccer games. You know, we don't, we didn't make that a hard and fast. Well, you can't play soccer because it's on the Sabbath. Yeah. Um, so we, do you know, you, do you find that you feel it's not something that causes you exhaustion, like to to go to? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, it's and it's also a little different with a under six year old soccer league, yeah. you know, than it is if you're playing in a district championship for basketball. So. But, so let me ask, ask this, because I could imagine that there might be some teenagers in the room who are going, oh, my gosh, I hope my parents don't do this. Um, because, you know, take away screens would be to take away their right arm, right? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an important, you know. So how, how do you anticipate, or how would you say, how should we start this so that my son and daughter, how do, they, how do, they, how do we explain it to them in a way that brings them uh, recognition of God's... Yeah, I'd like you to start that so you can tell us in about five years. You know, I think every season of Sabbath is going to look different, and we've already had to reevaluate what we're doing. We've been doing this for three years, multiple times, because seasons change, and what was restful then or what was possible then is not possible or restful now. And so, um, and I wish there were more families practicing this so that we can learn from Mm -hmm. each other. So please, if you have kids who are older than ours, start practicing this so that you can give us all all your tips. But um, I think that one thing that we say a lot is we say no to something good so that we can say yes to something better. Mm -hmm. And that is the essence of Sabbath. Like all these things are good. Um, But when we say no to them, we get to say yes to the better, um, which is turning our focus toward um, what God has done, the goodness he's, that he is, and um, celebrating that. So, yeah. uh, Real quick, do you have any resources you could point us to besides the relentless? The ruthless Elimination ruthless. of Hurry. There's another book I'm thinking of with Relentless. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I've, I've been reading this uh, week. Well, last couple of weeks, um, A.J. Swobel's Subversive Sabbath, which is pretty good so far. Um, I didn't make enough time <clears throat> on my vacation to, to read it all because uh, I was busy on my screen. Um, I was trying to think. There's another one I've got on my desk. but I can't think of another resource. I will say one thing that, you know, you asked about how to decide, like, what to do and what not to do and how to manage all of that. Every Sabbath looks different for us. It's not like we're doing everything the same way. But we do pretty much always have the same starting point, and it's that dinner on Friday. We always read the same scripture, sing the same song. Um, And then the next morning, we always have cinnamon rolls for breakfast on Saturday morning, um, which is silly. But it, I think that, like, and they're store-bought, 
not homemade because it's my Sabbath too. But um, I think that um, having that same starting point is the thing that like turns our hearts and minds on to say this day is different. Um, And and that's the most important part because that's the difference in a day off and Sabbath um, is, is what your heart, where your heart is, the condition of and the posture of your heart and your mind. Um, because when that's turned toward Jesus and what he's done, then changing a diaper can be an act of worship. Sure. Going to a soccer game can be a way that you delight in what God has created because you're sitting out in it. Um, and so practice, uh, that's, that's where I would start for anyone, you know, read the books, yes, but start by calling it Sabbath, using that word, which feels unnatural and weird, um, and then have a starting point that is the same every week that kicks your Sabbath off the same that can kind of tell your heart and your mind and your people this day is different. Well, thank you all. I appreciate your willingness to stand up here and talk about it or sit up here. Uh, So thank them. Uh, Appreciate it. And I'll try to wrap up. You could probably just stay up here because I'm almost done, finished. Steaks are done, I'm finished. Uh, I want to tell this next little bit, uh, not just because they make the Lord's chicken, but because it's a, a pretty cool story. Truett Cathy, when starting Chick-fil-A, um, wanted to build a rhythm of rest for his employees. As a Christian, he wanted to build into his business what he built into his life. And so he decided Chick-fil-A would be closed on Sunday, uh, much to the chagrin of churchgoers who love their chicken. But he was bucking the system of the fast food world. And he understood at the first it might cost him, but he wanted to remember the Sabbath and remember that any success that he or his business had was the Lord's success. Business Insider magazine reported in 2015 that Chick-fil-A did $5.8 billion in revenue with each restaurant selling around three point one million, more than any McDonald's averages at their stores. Now, don't hear that and say, you should take a Sabbath so you can get wealthy. That's not what it's about. It's not about you, never has been, never will be. You are powerless without God's provision. Uh, what The book I was referencing, A.J. Uh, Swoboda writes, Sabbath goes against the very structure and system of the world we have constructed. Sabbath then becomes kind of a resistance to this world. And such resistance must be characterized as overwhelmingly good. In other words, if Sabbath is hard, then we're, going to do it, then we're doing it right. And he writes this, It's never a sign of health or godliness to be well-adjusted to a sick society. Putting up a fight to enter into Sabbath is as critical as anything. By illustration, I've been told that when a cow is born because I'm not, not a farmer. You can, you can help me out, Rachel. When a cow is born, she innately senses that her departure from her mother's warm womb to a cold, scary, unknown world outside is upon her, and in response, she'll resist that birth and try to stay into the womb. On the other hand, is that right? Close enough. Sure. We'll go with it. For, the, for purposes here, it's great. Um, but on the other hand, the absence of such resistance is a sign of a stillborn calf. And so relating to our world of death, going along is a sign of death. Living fish swim against the stream, only the dead ones go 
with the flow. So remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's not just a command for the ancient Israelites to remember their reliance on God for their freedom for slavery. We're called to remember our freedom as well because we have been freed from slavery far worse than that of Egypt. You and I were a slave to sin. And Jesus stepped into our world and he covered you with his blood, the blood of the lamb, that the plague of death would not touch you, but you would have new life. You are his. And you, you brought absolutely nothing to your salvation except your sin. And yet he loved you and he provides for you. So the question is, is will you and will I trust him with Sabbath to rest and delight in what he has done? Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for these gathered today and those who are watching uh, through other methods. Lord, as we as we consider this teaching that is not not easy, not because not because it's really hard, but because it goes against uh, the grain of, of what we have made into our culture a, a relentless pursuit of productivity. May may you give us the maybe not even the strength to do it, but just the courage to even start talking about it and thinking about it. And may that lead us into the courage to, to stay, say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to honor God with our lives in a way that runs counterculture, that we're going to say no to something good, to say yes to something better. And Lord, I can't help but, but think it would radically change not only our lives but our world. May we walk in obedience to you. Uh, may we see your goodness that we have experienced, that we have seen as just, Lord, you are good and you are faithful. You are true and constant and we are not. So, Father, today I just pray that we would find our rest and our peace and our hope in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.